0: Real News. Welcome everyone to the Tori Sess Show. I'm your host, Tori. Today is January 10th, 2020, and it's Friday, and yesterday at the rally at Toledo, holy Toledo, the crowd was sick. Um, I realized something, and I thought to myself, I hope everybody else sees it, and it was envisioned in my head when I was watching, well, mostly listening to, because I couldn't really watch because I was busy doing something, to the rally in my headphones, was um, depicted so nicely in a video that Brad Pascal shared today. It showed at some point of that video, a White House, with people pouring out from it and being around it. And I think this is the first time in U.S. history since its inception as a nation that the people are in the White House. I mean, our voice is actually being heard in the White House. It's not the, you know, Pelosi or ilk. It's not people that believe they're better than us. It's not silver spoon condescending people that are taking decisions for us because they know better. It's the people. And the one thing I don't understand is how there are still people out there that don't realize that they're finally being heard. Yes, They don't like the way President Trump moves forward on things. Yes, uh, for those that have been conditioned to think that anything decisive is authoritarian or um, evil don't seem to understand that good rigid lines, uh, good directions in how a society, how a nation should operate is important. And see that blurring of those lines of what's okay and not okay has been created to look fuzzy by the mainstream media. The mainstream media that we have are not simply masters in fine arts holders. These people are very well trained. They believe they know what's best for you because you don't know any better. The fake news have been controlling the narrative because simply not what they say, but what they don't say. See, there were tons of protests around the world in the past three years that they didn't even cover. They didn't cover the protests in Italy. They didn't cover the protests in France. They didn't cover the protests in Germany, the protests in Greece, in Portugal, in Spain. They don't cover these things. They want to tell you that things are not what you hear about on the internet. People are just bots and trolls and don't know any better because they are for globalization of, and, and globalization is something that is inevitably, and it, that is inevitable in the sense of the idea of being globalized, meaning that we have this common language of English, which is used for business. We have easy access to travel. And now it's, uh, telecommuting travel, working together, competing together, crossing borders for, um, the purpose of commerce. But what they want is another type of globalization where there's open borders and just everyone's vanilla to the point that there is no distinction between someone from Zimbabwe and someone from India, someone from Mongolia and someone from France, uh, someone from uh, the United States and someone from, you know, uh, Russia, no difference. They want everyone to be the same on this whole planet. And that's it. They want one leader for this whole planet, right? They want one voice and it's going to be theirs because if they can dilute your voice, if they can take away and obfuscate, let's, let's put it this way. If they can take every citizen's voice away, if they can take your vote away, and if they can take your sovereignty away, it's done. Now they have been stealing our votes away. That's done. They have been stealing our sovereignty away and they have now aggressively and unapologetically taken our voice away. They're telling you that law enforcement is against the people. Uh, Let me get this straight. There are law enforcement persons that should not be in law enforcement. They join the force for completely wrong reasons. They're the ones that you see walking around and, you know, they have, you know, authority issues and they want to exert it on other people. But the majority of our law enforcement are good. They do it because they feel, yeah, yeah, I can protect. I, I like to protect. I'm, it's like um, some, some women are naturally nurturing right and some men are naturally you know the the head of the tribe let me protect you know sacrifice myself for the other and keep my community safe and feel like leaders and so they're not to the point of yeah i want to lead chit 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 between but i want to lead to make sure that i can protect the people in my backyard and so those are the good ones so what has the media done they have created tensions between the citizens of the United States and our law enforcement. Now I'm not counting the FBI, even though they're law enforcement and I'm not counting the intelligence community because one might think that they are law enforcement. They're really not. They don't really prosecute. The CIA doesn't arrest. Okay. When they do something, it goes to the FBI because remember FBI or men in blue, they're not spooks. Let's get that clear. So Let's talk about the men in blue that you see on the street, the ones driving the cars, the ones that when they get in the car in the morning, they don't know what they're going to get, right? Every day they're out there and you could be like, well, no, you don't. You don't know what they'll get. They'll be called in for something dumb like, oh, I heard, you know, some glass shatter and it could be something stupid of a kid kicking off a baseball into a window to, You know, a mass murder scene. They don't know. But what happened here? The mainstream media, in order to achieve the goals, the goals of them, right? They first created a rift between our local law enforcement. They wanted our local law enforcement to not like the citizens and the citizens to not like law enforcement, right? Because if you're like, ah, look at you, you know, the kneeling, the pig socks, the whole nine yards. And again, I am not saying that all men in blue are perfect, but in every, every industry, we have the good and the bad. The good is always the majority, right? Because no one like wakes up and says, I want to be a cop. So that way I can use my baton and beat people because I like it. You know what I mean? Uh, And if you're a pessimist in your life that says, oh, I don't trust anybody. I think everyone's innately bad. You know, you're you're not going to have a really good outlook or you're not going to be enjoying your life, right? If you if you think like that. So this is the first thing they did. And this was done over time through the Obama administration by highlighting um the you know, the instances of such behavior. And then the next part was to get you and I to be on opposite sides by segregation and by anger and by you know, fueling feuds that that didn't exist. Saying, well, you're a heterosexual. You hate lesbians. Mm -hmm. What? Uh, Who told you that? That's the way it is. Because you turn up your nose and you look. I don't really care what you do behind closed doors. When you have that conversation, suddenly they're like, oh, I didn't know. It's the media. Skin color, education, sexual orientation, all that stuff, they just cause this rift between people. And why can't we just all get along, right? Uh, Because they don't want us to. Because if we do, then we're united. So the media had actively created rifts between our law enforcement and rifts between the people purposely. And then they omitted, omitted information. So their narrative and their target and what they want to do is not done by just pumping misinformation, by gaslighting the public, by stating what they want to say, or by making suggestions to politicians on how to move forward. Cause I've told you that many times how they do it. They're suggesting this and it's like, where's this clown coming from? Right. And all of you are thinking, well, that's a journalist. Why are you suggesting we do this? Like, uh, the war powers act. That was an idea of a journalist, Right. The not giving the articles of impeachment over, that was also an idea of a journalist. I told you guys that, right? That's the way it is because now they're like, oh, he's been impeached period. So who cares if you ever send them over? They don't even have to vote. We just impeached him. So it makes him look bad globally. These are journalists, right? So here's the thing. If the media is not reporting the facts or they selectively report their own facts And real facts, because you always have to have a little bit of truth in the BS you push. So how is someone going to have access to information? How are you going to be heard? How is your voice going to be heard? How are you going to tell the world what your thoughts are, what you want to happen, how you want it to happen. How are you going to blow on your city council, on your mayor, on your police, on your anything? How are you going to do it if your tongue has been ripped out or if your tongue doesn't really count? And not only that, how did you receive that information from your neighbor who is talking about it? Because you might not know that, you know, your city councilman just bought a place for a dollar from the city on an auction that was closed just to him and is building a mansion at your expense and uh, your neighbor knows about it. How are you going to find out? Via social media, via communications, right? Because we are now a vast society that affects things that happen in small little places like villages in, you know, Willamette, Illinois, right? Expand on to Chicago, Green Bay, you know, Des Moines, New York, Cincinnati, Toledo, Cleveland. They all affect each other because because of communications, our distance in effect of what the cause and effect distance that we have is now shorter. I can prompt someone to start crying in Japan, you know, because of something I'll tell them over, you know, uh, Skype or, you know, um, Google Hangouts, right? They'll start to cry. I've just created an effect in Japan, right? Because of that shortening of distance through technology. So silencing the people, creating little pockets that disrupt areas that are highly charged, then using fear tactics and, you know, pretty much obfuscating and infiltrating and bombarding and creating junk for the brain in regards to politics is the other way. I mean, with this Iran situation, it was like 9-11 all over again where people were drooling by the couch, you know, watching, saying, oh my gosh, we just got to war and it's all President Trump's fault. How is it his fault? He's putting an end to it. And so many people are dead. They just pushed it and pushed it and pushed it. And not only that, they amplify as they wish to. That's what's insane. So the media right now is indeed, like I said, years ago, domestic terrorists. They clearly do not represent the people. They clearly do not. If the media is supposed to be giving you news that you are interested in that affect you, Turn on your CNN, turn on your NBC. Are they telling you things that you want to know? Are they aligning with what you find more important? It's just them hating on the president. It's like dogpiling on Twitter or Facebook. That's basically it. They're evil. They're disgusting. They're feeding into that nasty quality inside each and every one of us, that little speck of evil to want to like pick, 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 you know, and just be bad. What we have to do and is important is have objectivity and trust our inner self, trust our inner self to listen to what's going on. Okay. So I wanted to say, um, you know, this whole Iran, this whole war powers act, this whole withholding the, the, um, articles of impeachment, I mean, all of this is just way too much. It is a lot to go in one go. It is a lot to look in one go. It's just really, it's really, mm, I want to say complex, but it's not the complexity. It's the intent of it. Okay? It is intent. Now, over a year ago, Iran, you know, Iran has a power in And for those of you that have traveled to Iran recently and during these sanctions and everything, you see that people are going about their normal days. Uh, the government is the one struggling because they're unable, even though they have the wealth to uh, settle debts that they have in order to support their people, uh, they're finding it increasingly difficult uh, to make money, right? To cover that. So they're pretty much begging, which is true. Now, over a year ago, The parliament of Iran, right, um, was trying to tell their people why they were having struggles with money. Right. And so this was something that 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 the president was actually pushed back on. I want to play you a clip. Take a listen to this.
1: President Hassan Rouhani is facing the music. During a dramatic grilling on live TV, Rouhani blamed Iran's latest troubles on US sanctions and defended his government's economic management.
2: We will not allow a bunch of anti-Iranians that today have gathered in the White House to plot against us. The White House will not be happy with the end of today's session.
1: But Iran's parliament voted to reject his explanations. Several ministers have been sacked recently over the collapse of the rial currency, surging inflation and high unemployment.
2: I think Iran is well prepared under the current circumstances and in relative perspective. But if economy continues to deteriorate it represents geopolitical, it represents instability and the geopolitical risk would certainly elevate from there.
1: The US reimposed sanctions in May withdrawing from a 2015 nuclear deal. It sparked mass protests in Iran and tensions have escalated. Senior US officials say they aim to reduce Iran's oil exports to zero.
2: If US continues to adopt its current stance, yes it is going to have an impact on iran's economic growth but it will also have a spillover effects on other countries
1: as well in a phone call to french president emmanuel macron rihani urged other signatories to the 2015 deal to save the pact and wants europe to give guarantees to iran on banking channels and oil sales
0: in a national address flanked by the vice president and i just wanted to say this is exactly what the problem is, right? We have a government, Iran, who has created this deal with those that are looking to create one sovereign nation on this earth and to be able to control that too. And so they needed a boogeyman and they were fine taking the role and they were fine being controlled because, you know, when you give someone all the uranium to process for people, right? And for 50 years, they've been doing it. And even though you have the oldest centrifuges, you paid for the centrifuges, you this, it is at some point that the person or the country or the company that you're suppressing will take advantage of that and then rear their head. So there were always controls in place by those that had hired Iran and placed their own people in Iran to get this through. So at that point, when we pulled out of that, that stopped and ceased their ability to make money, right? It stopped their ability to make money. It stopped their ability to be productive, right? And they got scared. I would too if I was them. Hey, you hired me to be the boogeyman and I'm fine. My people are fine. When people come on vacation here, they're fine. Uh, You're putting sanctions because you still need to make me look like a boogeyman. That's fine. You have me paying all these terrorist cells, these mercenaries to push your agenda. That's fine. As long as I'm making money, I'm fine. But the minute... You know, you don't give me a little bit more. I'm thinking my country needs to develop a little bit more. We want to be out there. Maybe I don't want to be the boogeyman anymore. You put me in check, even though you have me under control. Then Trump comes in and he's like, you know what? This is done. We're not going to be the, we're not going to have this boogeyman. We're done. We're not going to be paying this boogeyman money. We're not going to be forcing them to do whatever they don't want. And in essence, because they've been, uh, you know, this uh, in this nation that has been abused for over fifty years, being used as the enemy, right? Because that's what we've done. Uh, and it's not just us; it's France, it's Germany, it's all of them, right? That we've allowed them to fester as an enemy. How can we trust them with nuclear weapons too? We cannot, because it's kind of like the the um, the suppressed emotions of the people, it becomes bad blood, blah, 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 blah. Right. That's how we see it. Right. And that's how you can see it with relationships with a friend. Uh, you know, if you have a guy friend, uh, that was, uh, you know, constantly suppressed at work, constantly talked down to constantly this, and suddenly, you know, they're released by the new boss and they're like, all right, now you're in charge, you're in this. They're going to go on a power trip. And that's because they want to exert that um, suppression they had in under previous management before. And this is what we're trying to avoid with Iran. Uh, you can come in, let's do baby steps, know this, know that. But they're being tugged by you're not going to have any money. And so today this was announced that we're going to have additional sanctions on Iran after the attack on U.S. troops. But the thing is, who cares about the sanctions, right? Does it matter, guys? No, it doesn't. Because the sanctions do nothing. Do you know why? Because they already created a back-channel system to fund Iran. So the fact that I got Pompeo up there Claiming that we're putting more sanctions, claiming that we're doing this is not so much to punish Iran. Iran is still getting money. They're done. They're okay. But it's so much to put our foot down for our supposed allies who are funding them through these instex back channels. That's why. So the big key here is this back channel that they have that no one's talking about. This back channel of instex where it doesn't matter how many you know um, stipulations you put in there how many sanctions you put in there iran is still going to get money from france from germany from anyone because guess what um they use insects and that was implemented in january of 2019 so how are we going to implement sanctions again we can't so what is it for the sanctions are not for iran the sanctions are for the European Union and our supposed allies that are supposed to be helping us diffuse this situation. They're supposed to be helping us put this monster that was created, this boogeyman, under control. That's what's supposed to happen. Maximum pressure on the Iranian regime is being pushed by the U.S., There are specific sanctions that were announced today and right after the break, I'll play you the clip, where eight senior Iranian leaders um, and people of the metals industry, metals, metals, uh, uh, industry were sanctioned because of Iran's attack. And they will continue until Iran shifts. Now. This is very key because this means this is targeting external entities, not Iranian entities, but external entities that are doing business with Iran. So let's pretend there's a steel manufacturer that's British and they're funding Iran through a back channel and we've just done this and we've sanctioned that, then that British company can't sell stuff to us, can't do business with us. And if they have accounts within the United States or banking, you know, transfers through a U.S. institution or U.S. controlled institution, guess what? It's now ours. So the sanctions, again, are not on Iran. It's on our allies that are helping fuel Iran. That's something that's key because... We're not dealing with Iran. Well, you know, Obama did. He sold them planes when he wasn't supposed to. He sold them things when he wasn't supposed to. Uh, He caught a few people that were documenting that they were selling planes. And he threw people, big, big, rich venture capitals, um, venture capitalists, um, money managers, wealth managers in jail, right, for whistling out or making proper documentation, taking proper documentation that indeed these were done by the Obama administration because you can't have that on the record because then it just looks like he's a hypocrite, right? So right now these sanctions that I'm going to play that because they were very important messages sent out by both uh, Pompeo and Um, you need to listen to that. And we'll do that right after the short break. So grab your coffee grab your snack and I'll see you in just a bit. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. And like I said in the first half hour, right after the break, we were going to get to uh, the announcements of sanctions and exactly um, what uh, they were saying. So Stephen Newton and um, Pompeo here are talking. I want you to take a listen to what they're saying because it's super-duper spot-on.
2: Good morning, everybody. Thank you for being here today. Just like to make uh, a brief comment before we talk about Iran sanctions. I'm sorry everybody saw that the Dow had 29,000. The President's economic plans are clearly working. We're looking forward to the China signing USMCA and uh, a very strong economy this year. Uh, As previously announced by the President, we are announcing additional sanctions against the Iranian regime as a result of the attack on U.S. and allied troops. First, the President is issuing an executive order authorizing the imposition of additional sanctions against any individual owning, operating, trading with, or assisting sectors of the Iranian economy, including construction, manufacturing, textiles, and mining. And let me be clear, these will be both primary and secondary sanctions. The EO also allows us to designate other sectors in the future as Secretary Pompeo and me think is appropriate. Second, we are announcing 17 specific sanctions against Iran's largest steel and iron manufacturers, set three Seychelles-based entities, and a vessel involved in the transfer of products. As a result of these actions, we will cut off billions of dollars of support to the Iranian regime, and we will continue our enforcement of other entities. Third, we are taking action against eight senior Iranian officials who advanced the regime's destabilizing activity and were involved in Tuesday's ballistic missile strike. Secretary Pompeo will comment more on this. Today's sanctions are part of our commitment to stop the Iranian regime's global terrorist activities. The President has been very clear we will continue to apply economic sanctions until Iran stops its terrorist activities and commit that it will never have nuclear weapons. I'll now turn it over to Secretary Pompeo. Thank you, Stephen. Good morning, everyone.
3: Uh, today, President Trump is delivering on the pledge that he made. Uh, the day after Iran attacked American forces in Iraq, where there will be a series of new sanctions. Secretary Mnuchin just mentioned uh, eight senior Iranian officials that are responsible for the regime's violence both at home and abroad. Uh, we're striking at the heart of the Islamic Republic's inner security apparatus. These sanctions targets include the Secretary of the Supreme National Council and the commander of the Basij forces. That's the regime's brute squad, which has in the last few months killed approximately 1,500 Iranians who were simply demanding freedom. Our action also targets other senior leaders close to the Ayatollah. They've carried out his terrorist plots and destabilizing campaigns across the Middle East and around the world. They've employed soldiers across the region's battlefields. They've trained militias in Iraq, Syria, and elsewhere in the arts of domestic repression. Today they're accountable for murder and mayhem. The goal of our campaign is to deny the regime the resources to conduct its destructive foreign policy. We want Iran to simply behave like a normal nation. We believe the sanctions that we impose today further that strategic objective. Our campaign is composed of diplomatic, economic (coughs) components that have deprived the regime of billions in revenue that the regime has used to fuel death and destruction across the Middle East and all across the world. Sadly, the previous administration had opened up revenue streams for Iran. Um, But under our administration, oil revenues are down by 80 percent, and Iran cannot access roughly 90 percent of its foreign currency reserves. And not even two weeks ago, President Rouhani of Iran admitted that our sanctions have cost Iran over $200 billion in lost foreign income and investment. As long as Iran's outlaw's ways continue, we will continue to impose sanctions finally, I want to reiterate President Trump's concern for Americans and dual national citizens detained inside of Iran. Iran knows these individuals have committed no crime. They know the charges against them are fake. We will do all that we can to get each of them returned home safely to their families. (laughs) But that will take just a few questions.
1: Secretary. Yes, ma'am. And Mr. Secretary, the administration said this this strike was done based on an imminent threat. But this morning you said we didn't know precisely when and we didn't know precisely where. That's not the definition of imminent. The president has also suggested that there was some sort of attack being planned against an embassy, perhaps several embassies. Can you clarify? Did you have specific information about an imminent threat and did it have anything to do with our embassies?
3: We had specific uh, information on an imminent threat, and that threat stream-included attacks on U.S. embassies, period, full stop. So you were
1: mistaken when you said you didn't know precisely when and you didn't know precisely where.
3: Nope, completely true. Those are completely consistent thoughts. I don't know exactly which minute. We don't know exactly which day it would have been executed, but it was very clear. Qasem Soleimani himself was plotting a broad, large-scale attack against American interests, and those attacks were imminent.
1: Against an embassy
3: against American facilities, including American embassies, military bases, American facilities throughout the region. Mr.
4: Secretary, oh, sir, John? Mr. Secretary uh, in the initial hours after the missile attacks on uh, al-Assad and Erbil, it was, it was believed that Iran may have taken steps to avoid U.S. casualties. But then uh, the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, uh, Mark Milley, came out, the Secretary of Defense came out, other officials came out to say, no, these missiles were intended to kill Americans. If it was Iran's intent to kill Americans, does that not deserve some sort of response? I mean, if somebody takes a shot at you and they don't hit you simply because you duck, does that mean that they weren't trying to kill you?
3: So, look, I'll defer to the Department of Defense on the details, but there's no doubt, in my judgment, as I observed, uh, the Iranian activity in the region that night, they had the full intention of carry, killing U.S. Uh, forces, whether that was our military folks or diplomatic folks who were in the region. And I'm confident that the response the President taken is appropriate. The uh, President said, we don't want war. We want Iran to behave like a normal nation. The reason that the secretary Treasury and I are here this morning is to continue this campaign, our strategic effort to get Iran to behave in a way that doesn't continue their 40-year-long effort to terrorize the world. Mr. Secretary of
0: Before they move on to Stephen, I I just wanted to say, you see what he said, 40 years of terrorizing the world. They were appointed as such. It's a more 10 years foundation and 40 years of execution, right? The 10 years foundation is the building of the centrifuges, the agreements uh, that were facilitated through South American entities and Europeans, obviously um, moderated by the U.S. in appointments. So... This is, in fact, what we're doing. We're, we're removing the world's boogeyman, the blind spot. I've called them the blind spot because that's exactly what they were. The blind spot for all nefarious activities. They were literally used as that, you know, the crack house that was releasing the Krakens on everyone. And in turn, they would just be left alone. It's kind of like the, the the front guys for the, for the mob. That's basically what we're trying to diffuse. No, but no nation no nation, just like no person, should ever been be abused and held in that position ever. And so when people say, Oh, this is wrong, let them do No, we're liberating them. We're taking all of these blood suckers out of that nation to expose them for they are. Because you know, once, once we hear what Stephen has, I'm going to break down to you about Sahels and what that has. Sehels, Eastern Africa. So why is it that the sanctions are targeting there? Who is the vessel and who trades with Seychelles if it's directly connected or indirectly connected to Iran to make money? That's what we're going to discuss. See, this is what the media should be discussing with you. These sanctions on mining, textiles and metals, uh, you know, you're just like, What? Remember, we did the same thing in Venezuela, trying to liberate them. We started to put out all these EOs and these sanctions here are probably going to cost a lot of people in Congress money. But anyway, we'll talk about that right after we listen to this.
4: Pompeo, do you believe that the Iranians shot down the Ukrainian International Airways uh, plane? And if the Iranians shot that plane down, will there be consequences?
3: we we do believe that it's likely that that plane was shot down by an iranian missile Uh, we are we're going to let the investigation play out before we make a final determination it's important that we get to the bottom of it Uh, i've been on the phone i was on the phone with president Zelensky uh, just before i came here i was on the phone with my canadian counterpart Uh, they were working to get their resources on the ground to conduct that thorough investigation (laughs) we'll learn more about what happened to that aircraft uh, and when we get the results of that investigation, I am confident we, we and the world will take appropriate actions in response. And and MTSB, let, me, let me just. We, we allow the to, uh, to work with the Iranians. Yeah, I, I was just
2: going to comment on that. The Treasury will issue waivers for anybody, whether it's Americans or others, that can help facilitate the investigation.
0: Did you hear that? The Treasury will issue waivers to anyone that can help facilitate that investigation. Do you know what that means? That means if you're a nation that we have sanctions on, if you're a nation that anything that we've put any imposition or you have any debt or anything that has to do with the money side because you're worried about your money, retaliation kind of like whistleblowing. He just made that clear. We are willing to give you a waiver if you talk. We will make sure that you're okay money-wise. If you talk, if you help us figure out what's going on, this is how you do business. See, these are things people miss when they're there because the media doesn't point it out to you. It doesn't um, break it down so you understand what they're saying because this is speech that not all of us are familiar with. Uh, These are statements and comments and issuance of orders and that you're not familiar with. So, it's important, because that's the job of the media, to break it down to you. And what I'm breaking down to you is that the Department of Treasury is like, listen, we'll give you waivers if you decide to help us.
3: Last time, last time that you both uh, joined us in this room, it was back in September. You were announcing additional sanctions, including on the Chris force And, Secretary Mnuchin, at that point you said, I think we've done more sanctions on Iran than anybody, and it's absolutely working. Since then, we've seen an escalation in violence from Iran, shooting down the drone, attacking the embassy, a contractor who was killed U.S. troops uh, that were wounded. How are sanctions uh, keeping the United States, economic sanctions, keeping the United States and United States interests more secure.
2: Uh, I think we have 100 percent confidence and we are consistent in our view that the economic sanctions are working, that if we didn't have these sanctions in place, literally Iran would have tens of billions of dollars. They would be using that for terrorist activities throughout the region and to enable them to do more bad things, and there's no question, by cutting off the economics to the regime, uh, we, we are having an impact. And as the President has said, uh, the fact that the Obama administration turned over $150 billion to the regime, we think we wouldn't be in this situation had that not been the, the case.
3: Marshall, may, may, I just, may I just add it's important to uh, keep in mind what's taking place in Iran today. This country's never been in the place that it is today. Big, challenging problems. Their budget, they're going to fail by tens of billions of dollars achieving their revenue for this year. They've got real challenges in figuring out how to make difficult decisions. Do you underwrite Hezbollah? Do you pick Hamas? Do you underwrite the Shia militias in Iraq? Or do you allow your people to have the opportunity to live the life they want and grow your economy? Those are the difficult choices that the regime is facing. And you can see the protests, protests that we expect will continue, that will demand from the Iranian regime that they begin to treat the Iranian people in the way that they so richly deserve. And this administration will continue to support those efforts as well.
0: So this is kind of like the the gang wars in New York, right? When did New Yorkers decide, hey, you know what? I don't need the mobsters here. I don't need them doing their shady work. I get that they protect and we're fine, but we don't need them. These sanctions are going to force the Iranian parliament of the people to say no more. We're not funding Hamas. We're not funding the Shias. We're not funding all these militias because our people are starving. And if all these millions of people in Iran decide, nope, it's not going to happen and take to the streets, you're either going to have to commit genocide and kill every single Iranian, throw every single Iranian in jail because Persians have a history of sticking together. They have been around for a long time. So when I tell you that Iran is a two-part country, the nefarious side and the people, it is 100% true. It's the IRDC controlled and then the the people controlled. So here with this push, with these extra sanctions where we are sanctioning countries, wait till you hear who does business on behalf of Iran, okay, through say hells, hmm You'll understand. We are li- literally liberating. We're saying, D- stop funding these people. Let them starve out. Kick them out of your nation. Take out all the terrorists. You can do it. We'll help you. Let's remove them all. Let's get the, the let's get the heads out of the way. Let's get the funding for them out of the way, and let's focus on your people. Let's get you into the industry. You make great carpets. You have good leather goods. You can start exporting, and you have uranium facilities you have oil you have gas let's get you on the map man let's work with the people we don't need this you don't need this this is the message we are giving them but the thing is how can the president do it when he's governing only one part of the nation Of the people remember that clip I played for you that was from 2018 where they were like Parliament was like you need to fix this we don't have money now they're definitely starving no matter how many insects behind these sanctions totally knock out a little portion of it I mean it's not a lot but it's still like what um, about a billion dollars and they don't have a billion dollars to
3: spare Thank you, Mr. Secretary. You mentioned secondary sanctions here. Uh, what is your message to our European allies who continue to do business uh, with the Iranians? And then specifically, if you can, will this impact the INSTEX barter mechanism that was set up by a number of European countries to avoid U.S. sanctions? And continue-
0: okay, I'm just going to tell you, Pompeo literally smiled and licked his lips while he looked at Musin And he was like, yeah, you do this. Take it. Good, good. Good statement, reporter. Too bad we don't hear about it on CNN, on NBC, on CBS, on ABC, and even Fox. Good job on saying that our allies are funding Iran through back channels.
2: Continue to do business without using the U.S. dollar. Sure, thank you. I think those are both very important questions. So let me first comment on Instax. Uh, I don't believe there's been any INSTEX transactions. As we've made clear, we are working on a Swiss channel that we have approved for humanitarian transactions. We'll continue to allow humanitarian transactions. We've warned INSTEX and others that they they will most likely be subject to secondary sanctions, depending on how they use that. So uh, that's absolutely the case. As it relates to the Europeans, both the Secretary and I have spoken to our counterparts in Europe several times over the last few days. We've emphasized the impact uh, and the issue of Iran has announced that they are no longer part of the JCPOA, and we've had very direct conversations with our counterparts about that.
0: Did you hear that? Secondary sanctions. And today they announced some Quasi secondary sanctions, which I'll get into in just a bit. They're almost done. Take a listen. These are really good stuff. And that question was awesome. They were so excited that they got that question because there's not a lot of people talking about Instax. I think Red State Talk Radio is the only one that's really talking about it. Have you heard it on any of the other conservative media channels? Have they explained it to you? How they're avoiding, not just trading with the U.S. dollars, but they've also created a banking system. You know how the SWIFT system, if you want to send someone money in another country, you give the SWIFT number and then the account number. It's like the global routing number. They created a whole other banking system outside excluding the U.S. dollar so it doesn't take into uh, sanctions. Secretary
1: Pompeo, Pompeo,
2: what is your definition of imminent?
3: This was going to happen, and American lives were at risk, and we would have been culpably negligent, as the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff said, we would have been culpably negligent had we not recommended to the president that he take this action in Qasem Soleimani. He made the right call. And America is safer as a result of that.
0: What a dumb question. What is our definition of imminent? So what are you saying? Because it's not going to happen today, but in a week or maybe a month, we shouldn't have done anything. Just sit on our hands until it's like five minutes to to, to go time. Jeez. Why have been these
3: shifting
2: definitions going we're going to try to do were one question for everybody they, just so, so that as many, many people can get questions. So I don't mean to cut you off, but we're trying to go ahead. I mean,
0: She's the new Acosta. Who is she?
2: I, I only differ from my colleague, but, um, sir, uh, six months ago, Secretary
4: Pompeo, the president said that U.S. intelligence agencies had been running amok. He spent most of the past uh, three years he's been in office denigrating and attacking the intelligence community and disputing findings whether it's on Russia or North Korea or really any area that contradicts things that he has said publicly. Why then should Americans suddenly believe your assertions that you had good intelligence on this when the head of the executive branch has been casting aspersions on the intelligence community for most of his time in office?
0: Let me just dumb this question down real quick because I had to like take notes when I heard this question. I heard it a few times because I was like, Where are you going with your statement? He's saying, So the president's like, oh, the intelligence community is like running on amok and they're going crazy and they're not good and the CIA sucks and we're bad intel and we're not doing it right and blah blah. blah. So then why would the American people believe that our intelligence sources now are now working properly and gave us good intelligence? to go ahead and take out Haji Kassem. So that's the question. Oh, if he's saying that they're all so bad, because, see, he didn't tell Pelosi because he didn't want them leaking it or warning them because now he's got real intelligence around him that's above the intelligence community while we're cleaning it out. Purge, purge, purge and replace purge and replace. That's how it goes. Purge and replace in the darkness under NDAs. And now you're working at McDonald's. That's how it's working. Uh,
3: look, I served as a CIA director for the first year and a half of this administration. I watched the president rely on the work that the intelligence community did for the entire time I served as the head of the central intelligence agency. I've watched him rely on the capable men and women are delivering exquisite information to the executive branch, watch the President have confidence in that information. Uh, we all challenge their work. We have to make sure we get it right. The intelligence community is not flawless. We, we, we get it wrong. In this case, the intelligence community got it fundamentally right. Even the reflections we've seen after the effect, after effect, after the strike that Qasem Suleiman took, has demonstrated that we were quite right. There was an imminent attack. There was active plotting. And we took an action that we thought was likely to create less risk for the American people, and I'm confident that we did that. Go ahead in the back.
0: You know why this work, this plan worked, that the attack was duds, using old Turkish missiles, etc. Do you know why it worked? Because they knew that the EU can't stand yet. They knew that something magical like Lindsey Graham whistled it. He's like, well, we're not going to tell them. It's just magical. That means, hey, Congress, hey, rats, (laughs) They went above everybody's head, above everybody's head, and they're using, you know, agencies you don't even know about, people you don't even know about, technology you don't even know about. That's what magical means. And so the intelligence was impeccable. Again, I say, Space Force was deployed the day before the attack. Just saying. Just before their attack. Let me rephrase that, okay? Their attack. Uh, Thank you. This question is for Secretary
1: Pompeo. There are reports that the Iraqi prime minister has asked you to start negotiating the withdrawal of U.S. troops from Iraq immediately. Is that the case? Can you comment on that?
3: He didn't quite characterize the conversation correctly. uh, But uh, to the larger, more important point, we are happy to continue the conversation with the Iraqis about what the right structure is. Our, Our mission set there is very clear. We've been there to perform a training mission to help the Iraqi security forces be successful and to continue the campaign against ISIS, to con- continue the counter-Daesh campaign. Uh, we're going to continue that mission. But as the as times change and we get to a place where we can deliver upon what I believe and the President believes is our right structure, with fewer resources dedicated to that mission, we will do so. We also have today a uh, NATO team that's here uh, at the State Department working uh, to develop a plan which will get burden-sharing right in the region as well, so that we can Continue the important missions to protect and defend and keep the American people safe while reducing our cost, our resources, and our burden and the risk to our soldiers and sailors who are in the region. Secretary Pompeo, if I can, here today at the podium, you said that the imminent threat was a threat to U.S. embassies. You didn't know precisely when or where. Last night, the President said it was a threat to embassies, including to our Baghdad embassy. Why can you say that here, and the President could say it at a rally in Toledo, but no one said it to lawmakers behind closed doors in a classified setting, as multiple senators have since said? We did. So the senators yes. are lying when they we, say we, that. We told them about the, the imminent, about threat, the imminent threat. threat. All of the intelligence that we've briefed, that you, that you've heard today, I assure you, in an unclassified setting, we provide in the classified setting as well. To
2: be clear, you told them that
3: embassies were the sort were to be targeted. That was the imminent threat. I, I, I'm not going to talk about the details of what we shared in the classified setting, but make no mistake about it: uh, those leaders, those members of Congress who want to go access this same intelligence can see that very same intelligence that will reflect what I described you what the president said last night Is as well. Is that right now gone with Soleimani gone?
0: Okay, after this break, we'll get into more details of who, what, when, and where, and do a little recap of the rally. I'll see you all in a bit. news. All right, welcome back everyone to the Tory Says show. I'm your host Tory, always here Monday through Friday, 12 to 2 p.m. Eastern Time. So I want to finish up and wrap up how Um, secretary Pompeo at the last of, um, the first hour, we heard him say, we had already told him that there was a problem. We already told him that there was a threat, but they ignored it. They were busy. They were off. They were on vacation. Remember kind of like the way Hillary Clinton was sleeping uh, because they wanted it to happen because they're, they're wanting the president to fail. You know, so let's listen to the last round of questions before we hop in where we listen to what the president had to say about the strike, where we listen to what he had to say about why. Which we all knew, like I said, they kept it close to them because they knew that they would leak it. They kept it close to them because they know how much money they're making in the region. And I'm going to tell you how, because these sanctions are telling you everything you need to know. Take a listen to the rest of this questioning first.
3: Uh, Threats are never gone. Uh, right? It's always a lot of danger in the world, always, always a lot of danger in the world uh, throughout the region. Uh, no, nobody believed that a single mission in any respect took down the risk of terror, terror from al-Qaeda, terror from ISIS, terror from al-Shabaab. No no one believes that. The President doesn't. Uh, look at the list, though. Look at the achievements in the administration. Uh, we took away the caliphate in its entirety. We took down Hamza bin Laden. We took down al Baghdadi. We took down Qasem Soleimani. This is a list that has reduced the capacity for terrorists around the world to perform the functions that put American men and women and the homeland at risk. We're very proud of what we accomplished. We're going to stay the course. Why don't we take
2: one more over there? Yes, thank you. No, no, next you.
1: Right there, yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. About the China trade deal. So the Chinese side is going to be here next Wednesday to sign the phase one part of that deal. But China is also a big
0: importer of Iranian oil and Iranian minerals, and that's a big part of their economy as well. So how do you balance the two? Are you concerned about the Iran issue coming up in either the signing of the phase
1: one deal or the negotiation for the phase two deal?
2: Well, let me just comment. I had no idea you'd ask that question, but that's a good last question to end on. So uh, let me first say that uh, we are looking forward to uh, the Chinese delegation coming next week. Phase one is very significant. Uh, It includes very significant components of changes to technology issues, intellectual property issues, and uh, $50 billion of purchases for for our farmers. Uh, I I would comment, uh, I don't agree with your comment that China is a big buyer of oil. Uh, The China state companies are not buying oil from Iran. And I would just say we are having conversations with China as well with any other uh, counterparty on sanctions evasion. So thank you very much. Thank you, everybody. So
0: he made it clear that the Chinese are not backstabbing us. They are not working with Instex. They are still standing tall in regards to supporting the United States on that, as I've said. The three powers on this planet right now, the largest powers on this planet right now, excluding the EU, which is immensely more powerful than they're showing, right? They may have a dunce army, right? They don't have a lot of military capabilities, but they're using Turkey for that. Keep that in mind, which is the second largest military force in NATO. But when you have the three global powers, you're getting South Africa on board and you're getting India slowly on board, things are starting to shift. Okay. So they tried to throw a wrench into this whole uh, China deal. So now, before we get into the nations, the people, the money, and all of these sanctions, I want us to listen to the president and how he tells you about the strike Telling it to you like it should be told. Telling it to you like the media should be telling you.
4: So with the VA, I used to go around and say, why don't they do that? Why don't these people, why don't they go to a private doctor, work something out? And I thought it was a brilliant plan. I said, I'm telling you, I am such a smart guy. I said, this is the most brilliant thing ever. And I went back to my people and I said, you know, I have an idea. A veteran sick they can't get the kind of service they need or they need a certain kind of a doctor i have an idea such a great idea you're going to go out private you're going to pick up a doctor you're going to get yourself fixed up we're going to pay the bill right and you know what happened and i said how how brilliant is that they say sir we've been working on that for 48 years but we've never been able to get it approved so i was very very disillusioned but you know what I'm good at? Getting things approved. that we got it approved. So we signed that 11 months ago. And what a difference that's made in terms of your lines and in terms of people's health. People would wait online for weeks. And some people weren't very sick. And they'd end up being terminally ill. They couldn't get to see a doctor. Now they go out, they get a doctor. We take care of them. We take care of our vets. So we're using this great power not to pursue conflict, but to really preserve, and and I mean in the truest sense of the word, preserve peace. We have this tremendous military. And you know what that is? That's really a great fighting force, but I hope we never have to use it. I really do. You saw an example. You saw an example of that a couple of days ago. So we seek friends, not enemies, But. If you dare to threaten our citizens, you do so at your own grave peril.
0: And keep in mind, the way we took out um, Kasem was pretty simple. There's a guy, probably um, either Minot Air Force Base or Arizona, sitting in front of a screen that looks like a video game. Uh, The drone is piloted on its own. It goes by itself. And he just stands by there with his joystick you know it's like an xbox controller sitting there waiting to get where he needs to be and get the okay to shoot off Uh, so by the way anyone out there that have children that are gamers video gamers that have skills for video games even yourself you know you can always apply to work for the military because now that things are more remote you know uh, being a great gamer can give you a great career in um the military just saying
4: we've never had we've never had a military what we have now we've never had anything like it you know we were looking at planes that were old and tired 50 60 year old planes you've heard the story the grandfather flew them the son flew them the current wonderful person flew them the whole family flew them Those are all gone now, folks. Those are all gone. In October of last year, U.S. Special Operations Forces executed a daring nighttime raid that killed the bloodthirsty founder and leader of ISIS, the animal known as al-Baghdadi, is dead. and the entire ISIS caliphate is destroyed, and his terrorist empire, and he was indeed a monster, has been totally demolished. We killed thousands and thousands of ISIS warriors, fighters, and we have thousands of them right now locked up where they should be. Nobody has ever done what we've done in three years. And I'll say this, when we took it over, it was a mess. We did it in a short period of time. But when we took it over, it was not good. And last week, the United States once again took the bold and decisive action to save American lives and deliver American justice. And you know what I'm talking about. For years, the sadistic mass murderer Qasem Soleimani planned and executed attacks against American targets, killing and wounding thousands of U.S. service members and many, many thousands and even hundreds of thousands of other people. As the leader of Iran's terrorist Quds Force, Soleimani spread death, destruction, and mayhem across the Middle East and far beyond. He ordered the violent assault on the American embassy in Baghdad, and you saw this was the anti-Benghazi. We got there very quickly. We got there very quickly. This is the exact opposite. We did it exactly the opposite of Benghazi, where they got there so late. All they saw when they got there days later were burning embers from days before. That's all they saw. We got there very early. We saw what was happening. I saw what was happening. I said, what's that all about? And that was going to be another Benghazi. Had they broken through the final panels of glass, they were breaking it, breaking it. Had they gotten through, we would have had either hundreds of dead people or hundreds of hostages. That wasn't going to happen. And I called up our great generals. I said, get them over there now. And one of our leaders, one of our really admired people, said, Sir, we'll have them there tomorrow. I said, Nope, get in the planes right now, have them there immediately. And they got there immediately. Fortunately. But he directed the recent rocket strikes that wounded four American service members, badly wounded and killed an American citizen. That was just before we happened to hit him. (laughs) Soleimani was actively planning new attacks, and he was looking very seriously at our embassies, and not just the embassy in Baghdad. But we stopped him, and we stopped him quickly, and we stopped him cold. So in my direction, the United States military eliminated Qasem Soleimani and ended his rampage through not only that part of the world, but much bigger parts of the world. He was all over. He was a bad guy. He was a bloodthirsty terror. And he's no longer a terror. He's dead. And yet now I see the radical left Democrats have expressed outrage over the termination of this horrible terrorist. And, you know, instead, they should be outraged by Soleimani's savage crimes and the fact that his countless victims were denied justice for so long. You know, he was the king of the roadside bomb, you know, what the roadside bomb. And then they got bigger and he'd send them over to Afghanistan and Iraq. And when you see our friends and our great wounded warriors and our great warriors, when you see them without their legs or without an arm and with so much damage, it's most likely that he caused that damage because that's what he liked. He loved planting the roadside bomb. So now he's gone. And that's a good thing. <laughs> Bernie Sanders. Crazy Bernie.
0: He should have said communist Bernie. I'm just saying. So as you hear, uh, this is how everything came to. The president is laying it out the way you need to hear it, but it gets better because he's going to tell you when it came up to that decision, how it happened. And just to be clear, I love a president that's decisive when they're like, well, we could get them there tomorrow to help the embassy and do all this stuff. He's like, no, you're getting them there today. Those are our people that are there for us. They deserve to be treated with that they're, they're the most important people right now get people there now that's a good president that is a good leader where he does not leave his people on the front lines but ensures and makes sure that they are safe now here's where we get to the really nitty-gritty good stuff
4: has condemned the u.s military strike on Salmani the world's top terrorists. Think of it, the world's top terrorists. And we're having people like Nancy Pelosi. That's oh, a real genius. <laughs> Do you believe that one? Nancy. Nancy. Nervous Nancy. But here's a guy who slaughtered and butchered civilians all over, and and military, whoever was in his way. And we have Bernie and Nancy Pelosi, we have them all. They're all trying to say, how dare you take him out that way? You should get permission from Congress. You should come in and tell us what you want to do. You should come in and tell us so that we can call up the fake news that's back there and we can leak it. That's a lot of corruption back there, folks.
0: Yes, it is. Yes, it is. They are the enemy of the people, guys. They are.
4: No, no, but think seriously. So they want me, so, you know, these are split-second decisions. You have to make a decision. So they don't want me to make that decision. They want me to call up. Maybe go over there. Let me go over to Congress. Come on over to the White House. Let's talk about it. When can you make it? Well, I won't be able to make it today, sir. How about, uh, let's say, in a couple of days? Oh, sure. Come on over. Now, we got a call. We heard where he was. We knew the way he was getting there. And we had to make a decision. We didn't have time to call up Nancy, who was — Not operating with a full deck.
0: Okay. Let me make a comment on that one. When we struck a Kassem, they were informed. Now documented, documented. When they were striking us, supposed, you know, the Kabuki theater thing, we had to tell them too. I'm going to point out something that I didn't state yesterday because I got carried away in my own, you know, spiel. But Nancy Pelosi was at the opening down in the Navy Yard, right? And she was interrupted as she was speaking in front of everyone in press. And they said, excuse me, Vice President Pence is on the phone. The Speaker of the House turns around and says, tell Pence I'll call him later. So she refused the phone call and continued on. Now, then person comes back with a little note and she just carried on doing whatever she was doing but she didn't call the vice president. They're complaining that they weren't advised, right? But they won't return. They won't pick up the phone. Now, in what universe can the speaker of the house so casually and nonchalantly say, I'm not speaking to the vice president right now. I'm busy doing my PR thing in no universe, which takes me back. To the casualty of conversation between the vice president and Nancy Pelosi. Think of it this way. If I was the speaker of the house and the vice president called me, I'd be like, excuse me, I have an important call. I'll be right back. That's how you show respect for the office first, right? Second, if you have back channel communications within each other, you could turn around and say, tell Pence, I'll call him later. If I was really busy, like maybe I was in the bathroom, which by the way, that one time (laughs) that I've said on air when I was called by Secret Service, I was literally in the bathroom and I was like, oh my God, they're going to see that I'm sitting here because they can tap into your phone. (laughs) So I'm just saying, if I was in the bathroom and the vice president called me and I was Speaker of the House, I'd be like, give me a second. Tell them to hold on. I'm coming as fast as I can. I wouldn't say, I'll call you back because respect. Hmm. But that exchange and the way she responded indicates that she and Pence have a different type of relationship that we don't know about. I thought I would point it out. Oh, and also point out that none of them picked up the phone when they were being advised and all that information was there. They just were busy, you know, busy going to ball games so they can talk strategy, busy activating Kasem, Haji Kasem. Why do you think he was busy? Who do you think paid him to be busy? Did he just wake up and say, oh, now we're going to plan all these attacks like right now? Why didn't he do it last week, a month ago, six months ago, two years ago, a year ago? Why did he do it now? Could it be that maybe somebody talked to him? I mean, we've got some magical resources.
4: Now they want us to call, can you imagine calling crooked Adam Chef? He's so crooked. He's so crooked. Shifty Chef. Say, gee Adam, how you doing? Listen, we have the world's number one terrorist. Kill thousands and thousands of people. Would like to set up a meeting so we can discuss his execution. Would would you be willing to meet Well, I won't be able to make it this week. Well, you know he's traveling fast. We got him lined up, Adam. You little pencil neck Nine inches. He buys the smallest shirt collar you can get. And it's loose. Now, come on, Adam. We got to meet faster, Adam. We got him lined up. We got to take this guy out. We're not going to have another shot at him maybe ever again. But, but I can't make it now because I'm trying to impeach Trump. I'm trying to impeach. Even though he did nothing wrong. By the way, did you see? I did nothing wrong. They don't even know what the hell is going on. In fact, it's so weak, she doesn't want to put in the articles it's so weak. They're so pathetic. They're so pathetic. So they want us to call them. Now, Schiff is a big leaker. You know, he leaks to crazy CNN. See, with a little red light on on Not too many people are watching CNN, but he leaks. So he'll say, you know, uh, off the record, I got to hurry up because everyone's watching me in the hallway on my cell phone. Off the record, they've got the number one terrorist in the world, Soleimani, and they're going to get him. They're going to take him out in the next 10 minutes. Uh, please don't tell anybody I told you But that. So we are, we are breaking this. President Trump, within the next 20, 25 minutes, looks to be taken out. Terrorist General Soleimani. He's gonna do it. should be happening about the next 20 minutes, 19, 18, 17. (laughs) Then we get back to the battlefield. How'd you do, fellas? I don't know, sir, he disappeared. I don't know what happened to him. They want us to, they want us to tell them So that they can leak it to their friends in the corrupt media.
0: That's a nice way of putting they're working with the terrorists. You see? Because through the media is where they give the hints, didn't I tell you? How Lindsey Graham gives hints. He was like, oh, maybe we should examine the War Powers Act. It's like, um, so now we're going to take tips from Jake Tapper and Brian Stenler. I'm sorry. When did anybody elect them? And why are you listening to journalists on how to do things? And why are they giving suggestions to foreign governments as well through their, you know, just reporting, of course? Why are they hinting as what is happening? And this is why when when I say things, hey, this is going to happen, uh, I say it when it's already done and dusted and months before it happens. Why? Because no one's listening. Oh, that's going to happen later. No one can confirm that. But now they're taking things a little bit more seriously. So what we have to do is work with the cadence of the president to ensure security. I'm just saying. So what we need to look at is retros- in, in retrospect, what has been said and what's coming to fruition. The next four years, I think I made it clear in November of 2018, how money is changing. That is the nice way of him saying they are part of that conglomerate.
4: You got to say, though, that's a lot of media, right? That's the way the Academy Awards used to look when it was successful. Then they started hitting us all the time and it became unsuccessful. I love it. I love it, actually. Oh, they have some bad ones here tonight. They have some really bad ones, some real sick ones. They have one good one, by the way. One good one. They have one good one, but some bad ones. Very, very dishonest people. And we have some great ones, too. You know, we have some great journalists, great reporters. But you've got a tremendous number of dishonest people. Media people, like I have never seen in my life before, they write things that they know are wrong. They write if you watch for the last three years, think of it, and then they get Pulitzer prizes. But it turned out to be all wrong. How do you do that? They get Pulitzer prizes for being wrong. The Pulitzer Prize doesn't mean a thing. Doesn't mean a thing. Just like the Nobel Peace I mean, Prize. I'm going to tell you about the Nobel Peace Prize. I'll tell you about that. I saved
0: a wait a minute wait a minute I'm going just, right through commercials he said what I said for
4: the last three years, just listen way. and then they get Pulitzer Prizes but it turned out to be all wrong how do you do that they get Pulitzer Prizes for being wrong the Pulitzer Prize doesn't mean a thing doesn't mean
0: and like I said, yeah, the Pulitzer doesn't mean a thing, but the Nobel Peace Prize doesn't either. Obama got it simply because of his skin color, right? That's where it's like all of us that aspired one day to get a prize are just like, uh yeah, it doesn't mean anything. You just hand it out. It's like a participation trophy that used to mean something and it doesn't anymore. It just means that you're globally approved by the global cabal. And the president actually, I had not listened to this part of it, believe it or not. And he said the same thing. I'll tell you something about the Nobel Peace Prize. Hence why I skipped right through the commercials.
4: Mean a thing. I mean, I'm going to tell you about the Nobel Peace Prize. I'll tell you about that. I made a deal. I saved a country. And I just heard that the head of that country is now getting the Nobel Peace Prize for saving the country. I said, what, did I have something to do with it? Yeah, but you know, that's the way it is. As long as we know, that's all that matters, okay? That's
0: That's the thing, as long as the objective is achieved and we know that it's been achieved, it doesn't matter who says it, kind of like the way reporting should be. Uh, You know, even though we're human and we love to get that pat on the back, It doesn't matter. What matters is, is that the news go out. What matters is, is that people talk about it. What matters is, is that we successfully accomplish what that reporting was intended to do. Kind of like how I said, the whistleblower was a wiretap. If that was actually reported, that was actually investigated by people with more resources. I mean, I already know it's true because, you know, I time travel and I can see things uh, per se. That's, um, Just I have a TARDIS. So I'm just saying, and it's literally my hand as a smushy. I could be a fly on the wall. I know that it's a whistleblower. So if I know there is a whistleblower, people with better resources can see that too. And yesterday I explained to you why they went to the ICIG, because it implicates things.
4: I saved a big war, saved a couple of them. But under my administration, we will never make excuses for America's enemies. We will never hesitate in defending American lives. And we will never stop working to defeat radical Islamic terrorism. Never. And nobody's done it like we've done it. And it's we. It's we, it's not me, it's we, it's a whole movement. There has, by the way, never been a movement like this. You know, outside, I don't know what this place holds, like 10, eleven thousand people, right? Outside, you have thousands and thousands of people that want to get in. There's never been a movement like this. There's never been a movement like this. And I'll tell you, maybe I'm wrong, but this is bigger than it was in 2016 because Because in 2016, I said what we're going to do, but now I've completed more promises than I've made. I mean, I've actually completed more than I've made. Right? Like, as an example, Many of you were here. Look at all those beautiful red hats. Keep America great. That's good. But I never talked about. Did you ever hear me prior to the election talk about Space Force? Never talked about it. We did Space Force. But did we ever speak about it? No. There were many things that we've done that we never spoke about. Here
0: we go. Right.
4: Right to try. You know about right to try, right? They've been trying to get it for 44 years. Right to try. That's people that are very sick, terminally ill. And they can't get medicine that possibly works and very well we have the greatest labs the greatest doctors in the world greatest scientists in the world we have the greatest medicines in the world if they have something that they're pretty sure is going to work but it's going to take another six years i brought those times way back by the way way down but they would travel to asia they would travel to europe they would travel all over the world to try and get a cure because we wouldn't sell them the medicine, because we didn't want to take a chance on making the people sick. I said, wait a minute, they're going to die. They're going to die. Well, sir, we can't take the liability. I said, then we'll draw up a statement assessing all liability, taking all liability away from the country, away from the insurance companies, away from the healthcare companies, away from the doctors. And with the great help of a lot of incredible Republicans, and we had some Democrats help us, we passed right to try. And you have to see how this has worked. Some people are being, many people are being saved. And you know, the drug companies didn't like it because they didn't want to take people that sick, because they didn't want it on their charts. I said, I understand that, that we won't include that. We'll have a separate list over here. They said, oh, would you do that? I said, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that. But I didn't talk about right to try. I never said I was going to get that done. And we got it done. That was a tough one to get done. Sounds simple. It was tough. There's nothing easy in this country. You know, they said to me, a friend of mine the other day, who is the toughest country to deal with, President? He used to call me Donald. I've known this guy for a long time. I like to say 20 years, but it's much more than that. I just don't want to tell you how long. It's too long. And I say, call me Donald. You've always called me Donald. I I can't. He calls me Mr. President. I've known this guy forever. He used to call me, hey, Don, let's go out to dinner. You know, before he'd go, hey, let's go out to dinner. Now he goes, Mr. President, sir, how are you? Right? How are you? But what we've done, and he said, he called me, he said, what you've done, he's never seen anything like it. So many people are saying that. We are all together doing something, not only in terms of the election, not only in terms of what we're doing right now. Don't forget, it's a long way to the election. You know, we have, what, 10 months? That's a long way. This is my first stop of the year, first major stop of the year. This is it. And we start. By the way, let's do one of those polls right now. Do you mind? Is there anything more fun than a Trump rally? Here we are. Is there anything fun? Ready? So we have the greatest phrase of all time, make America great again. And in all due respect, I'll never end, I'm a little superstitious, I'll never end it. Make America great again. But I see all those hats. I see all those hats changing it a little bit. But make America great again. And I said, you know, today we just hit the highest stock price in the history of our country. So your 401ks... So, your 401ks are at records, your stocks are great, but what it really means to me is jobs, more importantly than anything else. We have the best jobs, the best everything, right? But we just hit, so I can't really say make America great again. Our military is rebuilt, two and a half trillion, our military is rebuilt. We're doing great numbers. Economically, our country's the strongest it's ever been. You have factories moving back into Ohio, you never saw anything like it, right? You had your best year. So when I say make America great again, what that sort of means is like we didn't get there, but we did get there. So now I have a new theme. It's called Keep America Great. Keep America great. Right? Now, I'm a very loyal person. And I am concerned about changing the theme, because Make America Great Again, I think it was the greatest political campaign in history. I mean, Crooked Hillary spent three or four times more money than us, right? So Crooked Hillary — wait. Crooked — you should lock her up, I'll tell you. Crooked Hillary. Spent three or four times more. So I want to be a little bit — you know, I have to say, that was a great campaign. And I don't want to change it. I don't want to have this incredible 2016, then go with something, and if something ever happened, oh, this country will go to hell. Oh, I hate to see. You know the stocks I'm talking about, records? You'll have records this way. You're going to have records — get used to it. Because if that happened, you will see things happen that aren't good. But I have to now say, Do I want to change the greatest theme in political history? Make America Great Again with Keep America Great. Right? So — so let's take a little applause, right? We'll go, Make America Great Again. You clap if you want that. Then we go, Keep America Great. You clap if you like that. Okay? You ready? First. Make America great again. Ready? Keep America great.
0: Okay, well, that answers it see the president, the voice of the people saying, you know what? I kind of like the Make America Great Again because we're almost there. We're actually there. Today's stock market, 29,000. Pretty insane. Um, And he asked, he asked the people, what do you think? What should we do? How should we do it? Tell me what to do because he's asking you. He's asking you why, because it is very important that we have an immense economy built, that people are confident in the economy because when this all comes down, when this fiat currency is removed, <laughs> I mean, they had the bricks created, right? Bricks was made and now they have Instex, Mm. We're going to see some really big changes after the 2020 elections. And while the world kneels down in their economy, very few nations will be left standing by giving tangible backing to the currency, because that is the only way you cannot control the people. If it's tangible, if it's fake, you have the power to remove the worth of that dollar. If I tell you the dollar is what I say it is, right? So I tell you with a dollar, you can buy a burger. But then the next day, I don't like you. And I tell you with a dollar, you can buy one French fry. But that's not how it works. Yep, that's the way it works. But if it's a gold or silver backed currency, can I devalue metal or can I devalue gold on a global scale from putting it from dollars to a penny? I can't. The way they control you is by making you believe money is the source of your sustenance. And they control it because they can inflate and deflate its value with the stroke of a key and you can't do anything about that. But the minute, the way you secure the freedom of the people, the way you secure the freedom of your nation is by ensuring the money, the currency they use, the barter they use has value. Because if you remember, during the speech that was speech, the presser, that um, the Secretary of Treasury and Secretary of State gave, they said the question was, what about the barter agreements, barter agreements, remember, keyword barter agreements, with Instex? Because they didn't use a fiat currency to establish Instex. They used it as a backed commodity. So here's where we go into the sanctions. So you understand how important this money thing is, how important that the fact that the market is so massive, because when you topple the world economy and your people are on top with fat bank accounts and you devalue that dollar because you're going to have to, to balance out, you're going to be super rich at first with gold back currency to give some value to the dollar based on the on, on the on the commodity which is gold. You need your people's pockets full. So, speaking of the sanctions, it was very important that Seychelles, from East, you know, an East African uh, nation, was called out. Do you know who? are the top five people they export to. Mm -hmm. And it's the kingdom of the Netherlands. You know, the one that Nancy Pelosi is like, yeah, we had the king of the Netherlands. Italy, the United Kingdom, United Arab Emirates, UAE, and France. So these five nations are the top five that buy things from this Eastern African nation that turns out to be metal, steel, iron, that they mine, that they promote, that they sell. So let's see, does the UAE do business with Iran? Not really. Mm? They don't. So that would leave the Kingdom of the Netherlands, Italy, France, and the United Kingdom. Oh, dear. My money's on France. My money's on France and an EU vessel that uh, leads back to the crowns, uh, of the royals, uh, that Pelosi was so flaunting out yeah, that I was with the royals, the king of Spain, the king of the Netherlands, uh, because the king of Jordan gave her the door. Don't let it hit you on the way out, Nancy. So these sanctions targeted these five nations whose trade is about half a billion dollars. Ah, that was in 2017. Now it's more on the back end market, on the black market, because it was very specific. Textiles, mining, metals. Mm. So The maximum rate of tariff on any product is uh, 200%, just so you know, according to the World Bank. The simple average tariff is 2.7. The total duty-free imports, blah, 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 in U.S. dollars is a certain percentage. Now, what if you knew that there were no temporary trade barriers in effect with this nation at all? Well, now there are. (laughs) Now imagine what vessel or tanker, or ship, or maybe, I don't know, shipping company that could be linked to the crown and people around, um, I don't know, Washington, D.C., could indeed cost billions to Iran. That's food for thought. So when he puts this in place, Remember that this East African nation, UAE, we already know, don't do business with Iran. They're actually supposedly enemies because the IRGC won't work with them, right? They threatened them uh, to be attacked if anything happened or if we flew out of there because that's where all our troops were kind of sitting around. So again, France, Italy, United Kingdom, Netherlands. Damn, those royals, right? So I irritating. And remember, Macron is not just, you know, head of France. He's also a co-prince, right? How there's two princes that rule. So he's royalty too. I'm just saying. And France has a really big hold on that area in East Africa. So these sanctions were very specific. So specific that it has caused great pain to those that are sitting in the house right now with Iran, it's really important that we help liberate them because we had a regime by Obama who enabled the IRGC part of Iran. And indeed the president made that clear. He made that clear during his speech. He made it clear to tell you that's exactly the problem. He emboldened them. He gave them money. He gave them cash And he may have given Haji the go-ahead, right? With his whole plan. Maybe if we give him war, maybe if we give him death, maybe if we kill soldiers and say it's all because of Trump, he'll lose. But the thing is, Space Force, Space Force, magical things happen, magical, magical things. And they can't quantify that. They can't. So now, take a listen to what the president has to say about Iran.
4: The administration enabled and emboldened the Iranian regime. They gave Iran $150 billion, including $1.7 billion, in hard-cold cash. Can you imagine? No, no, can you imagine? $1.7, $1.8 billion in cash. So the foolish Iran nuclear deal financed Iranian aggression while allowing a quick path to nuclear breakout. That's what it did. And by the way, it expires so soon. They can have nuclear weapons. They're not, as I said before, they will not have nuclear weapons. By subsidizing Iran's malign conduct, the last administration was leading the world down the path of war. We are restoring our world to the path of peace. Peace through strength. Peace through strength. And our country's doing great. And I think something's going to happen that's going to be good. You know, we sanctioned the hell out of Iran, and we just put more out of it yesterday. And they hit us with 16 missiles. And I said, How many? We were ready to go. We were ready to go. I said, How many? How many died? How many were wounded? Sir, none. None. Pretty good warning system. None. How many were hurt? How were None, sir. So we didn't do anything. We were ready. We were ready. Not that I wanted to. But we were ready, you have no idea. A lot of people got very lucky. We're thrilled to be joined tonight by many great Republican leaders. A man who has helped me right from the beginning, a very special guy, Representative Bill Johnson. Bill, where is Bill? Thank you, Bill.
0: So the president, just so you know, stopped off in Ohio, which is actually being battled right now. It is going to be a battleground, Um, even though we don't see it. They have migrated uh, many uh, type of, um, I want to say, deployment practices uh, in regards to the elections. So that's something that, uh, you know. We have to maintain diligence. But I believe that by the time the elections roll around, uh, we'll have so much out of the Awan case that we will be doing paper ballots, complete paper ballots. So that way we can have a more organized, a more uh, open um, election. Open in the sense of not everybody knowing what you're voting, but to make sure that The integrity of the vote is sustained, and you're going to see one of the biggest landslides ever. I don't care how many liberals you see sitting on the corner foaming at the mouth. The majority of them have to carpool in order to go to the gas station. I don't care how many liberals you see screaming or talking on Facebook or Twitter. The majority of them don't even know how to fill out a ballot or what it looks like. The bottom line is you are going to see a landslide. And when that happens, no Democrat will ever be able to step out on the street. Those people, the cowgirl from Florida, Pelosi, Feinstein, Lois Frankel, they got to be really careful, those two chicks. A lot of stuff coming out in the summer about them. We've got a lot coming out, a lot of investigations, a lot of people that think they're going to go back in like disgusting Ilhan Omar, who's sitting there and preaching because her dude is out. She said nothing though about the Al Shabaab bombing in her hometown, right? Nothing. Because the Al Shabaab bombing wasn't to kill Somalis that are on the same page as her. They were bombing assets. Same thing for Kenya. Mm -hmm. But okay, I digress. Let's move forward. This weekend is going to be pretty good. I feel like it's going to be pretty, pretty good. It's going to be busy because we're watching them now. Have you noticed how they're not making a lot of statements lately? How they're a little bit quiet lately because now they're understanding. That we are not one step ahead or two, we're seven months ahead of the game, and now with Space Force, they're a lot more scared. See, this is, I'm I'm retweeting Space Force. Uh, They, you know, they um, tweeted out the Simpsons. How fitting in response to NASA, talking about the 13 graduates, the new astronauts, the Artemis generation. What is Artemis? Artemis was the goddess of the moon. She was a hunter. She was a warrior. Hmm. Because the goal is by 2024 to have people on the moon. Who says we're not there already again? Oh. So we just went with JFK with the technology that you can find in your TI-84, but we're not there. Disclosure is going to be pretty awesome. Disclosure is going to be imperative, actually. That was supposed to be weaponized, but it's not going to work that way. The world is a really bigger place than what we think it is. It's a lot bigger than anything you've imagined. And we're seeing a lot more of these military units... Branches around the world hinting at it. Mm, You know. So did you know that um, Twitter has been actively suppressing tweets from the U.S. Marshals? I thought I'd tell you that. Because as things come out, you're not allowed to see, remember? Remember? There is something so huge that is on its way. It is beyond a doubt huge. Everyone's upset that the investigation by Huber didn't give them what they want on the Huber side. It's a lot bigger than that. It is a lot bigger than that. Patience. Super patience. So now we're going to have Unseal Epstein. We're going to have Wiener's laptop coming into the forefront. And we're getting a lot of people gone. Did you know that a colonel in the Air Force was um, most recently fired? Because no one was confident in his, you know, do you know how many people getting fired? Tons. How many big pads are rolling? Tons. Are you hearing about it? Not really. Why? Because you're not allowed to. You're not allowed to know what's really going on. You're not allowed to see anything because you talk too much. You discuss things too much. You are asking way too many questions for your own good. How are we supposed to control you if you grow your knowledge? You need to be silent. That's the thing. So this weekend, the only thing that I would say to all of you is enjoy it because it's going to be so much fun next week. And um, on the 17th, Friday, it's going to be super fun. I think we're going to be partying, partying more from the day before, actually. From all of us here at Red State, God bless. I wish you a fabulous weekend. Don't forget, pray and have faith. Two key things that are perfect to moving forward. God bless. See you Monday.